Okay, so we're looking at uh, the next section in our Titus series, and we're looking at uh, chapter 1, verse 10, through to the end of the chapter, and the first verse of chapter 2 as well. So as we know from uh, talks that we've had already, Paul is writing to Titus, who's in Crete, the island of Crete, to give him further instruction on what needs to be done in the churches. Um, we know that, that churches have been established, but there were still some things left to be done, and, and Paul was called away, and, and he left Titus to finish what was started in those churches. And we know also from what we've been uh, considering in our, our previous talks that Titus has got his work cut out, because there are clearly some who are um, spreading false teachings, and there are some who are doing it unintentionally, and there are some who are doing it deliberately for, for various reasons. And as we've already thought, um, the Cretans themselves have a reputation and they're, they're known for being people of low moral standing in, in the time that this was written. So as we say, Titus has got his work cut out. He's got plenty to be um, getting on with in the churches there. And in the verses that we're going to read today, Paul is warning him of the dangers of false teaching and the ways in which it can slowly creep into a church and take over the teaching of that church. So it was obviously a very real danger at the time, and it's something that, that applies to us as well. And as members of a church, we can really apply what we, we're reading to ourselves today as well. So we'll just read the passage, and then we'll, we'll make a start on, on what we can learn from it. So it's Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group, they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So it's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? Straight away from, from Paul to Titus of the kinds of people he's going to be dealing with, the kinds of issues he's going to be facing in these, these young churches. So, as we thought, Paul warns of the dangers of false teaching and the ways in which um, they can slowly take over a church. And there are things that can apply to us today. And we'll just take a moment to, to look at the, the dangers that, that Paul's outlining. I've got it under three D words that we can, we can use to help us remember. The dangers of, of false teaching are disruption, distortion of the gospel, and degrading of the integrity of the church. So it's um, disruption, distortion, and degrading. So disruption, we read in verse 11 of the passage, um, they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. So one reason why false teaching in a church is so dangerous is that it spreads like wildfire, or it can do at least. And it's not just the hearer of a teaching who's affected. 
Because as we know, it's very likely when we hear a new teaching or something that um, challenges what we, what we know to be true, um, it's very likely we'll, we'll be talking about it with others and we'll, we'll maybe share it with others. That can be done um, perfectly innocently if, if we're um, passing on something we believe to be like a revelation or, or something that we didn't realise before. Um, but when that happens, it can lead to disagreements. And it can even lead to, to conflict between um, members of the same household even, or the same family. And perhaps um, some of us who are listening to this have had an experience like that. Perhaps um, a new teaching has, has become known to us, or someone's told us something which, which challenges what we believe. And perhaps it's, it's caused a disagreement in our families, or in our, our closest circles, or within our friends, or within our church in fact. And when that happens, it can be discouraging and it can be divisive and it can cause splits between, between groups of people. So that's, that's the main danger um, of, of disruption, of, of a false teaching. So how do we deal with that? We're called to have unity in the churches. And as we know, false teaching threatens this unity. But as we'll see in a few moments, um, we're to test everything and we're to compare everything against the word of God. So that's disruption. Secondly, we've got distortion of the gospel message. Um, we've read of this group called the Circumcision Group, and again, we'll look at that in more detail in a few moments, but um, they were a group of people who had added a whole host of extra burdens and requirements to the gospel message. And that was never the intention of, of the Apostle Paul and, and the early church leaders who were, who were spreading the gospel. Um, but these, this group of people and others had distorted the gospel message and added all these, these requirements and these, these rituals and routines that needed to be followed as well as, as simply accepting the gospel message. And again, we see a parallel today, don't we, with that. There are those who will tell us that there are all sorts of other things that are required to be saved from our sins um, beyond just the accepting of Jesus' death and resurrection, which we know is the only way to God. Um, there are those who will tell us we have to, to keep certain customs or, or um, perhaps outweigh the, the bad with the good on the scales and all these kinds of things. And this can be discouraging for us and give the idea that, that we can earn God's favour. And it can also make us harsh and judgmental with other people because we feel that we should be passing these burdens onto other people as well, making sure that they're living up to this, this false standard that has been created around the gospel. So again, we can, we can counter that, can't we? We can... Um, we can break that down by just always coming back to the gospel message. Um, however you remember it, whatever verses you use to remember the gospel, we know that it's, it's through Jesus' death and resurrection, as we've been remembering this morning. That's the only way in which we can come to God. That's the only way in which our sins are dealt with. And that's the only way that we're saved and look forward to an eternity with God. And anything else that is added by, by humans or, or by, by other ways of thinking... Is, um, is a challenge to that and a threat to that. And we must always come back to, to God's word and the gospel as we know it to be true. So that's the, the distortion of the gospel message, which was a real threat at the time and is a real threat to us today as well. And finally, the degrading of the integrity of the church. If we look at um, verse 16 of our passage today, it says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. We could sum that up perhaps as hypocrisy, um, where these people are teaching a very, very high standard of, of behaviour, but they're not living up to it themselves. 
And again, this is just a, a, a real challenge to us as we seek to live out the gospel, as we seek to be a good witness for the gospel. Let's make sure that verse 16 can never apply to us. Um, the consequence, if it does, is that it weakens our testimony and it weakens the testimony of the gospel. So let's always be examining ourselves, going back to, um, to what the Bible says and what the, um, what the Bible teaches us is sound doctrine and making sure we're always living up to that, to that standard and not compromising or degrading the integrity of, of the gospel or the church. As we've thought already, the Cretans were known for their, um, their low moral standards and this would have been a threat to, to those who, who were trying to spread the gospel in that area because there would be those who would look on them and, and think, um, these people aren't living up to their own words. These people aren't um, at all something I want to be a part of. So let's make sure that doesn't apply to us. Let's be um, shining lights for the gospel and make it something that's appealing to others and, and attractive. So there's the three dangers that Paul outlines in the passage. Disruption among households, distortion of the gospel message, and degrading of the integrity of the church. <coughs> he also tells us, and Titus, a little about the sources of these false teachings. Where, where are they coming from? And where do we need to be aware of them coming from in our, our churches today? We, we, we began at verse 10, but if we go back to verse 9 of Titus chapter 1 it says um, it says of elders uh, they must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it so this is the first way in which these dangers can, can creep in if we're not holding firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught this can, this can take a number of forms can't it we can compromise on God's word we can take the easy route and do what, do what suits us instead of what suits God, or instead of what's God's will. We can go with the flow of those around us. Um, perhaps when God has told us to do something else, we can find it easier just to go with those around us and not, not to uh, um, rock the boat, as we say. Just, just going with the flow and, of, of those around us. We can not immerse ourselves in God's word. As we said already, it's, it must be the absolute authority for the standard of living that we're supposed to have. And if we're not immersing ourselves in God's word, if we're not coming back to it regularly, time and time again, then we're going to miss out on the, the strength that it offers and the encouragement that it offers and the instruction that it offers. We can be lazy with our discipleship. We cannot use our time effectively for God. That's, I think, a challenge to all of us these days. We can, um, we can find that We've gone through a day and perhaps we struggled to count the minutes that we've dedicated to God's things and, and it's really a challenge to us not to be, to be lazy with our discipleship. And if we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, we have the embodiment, I think, of, of what this means to hold firmly to the trustworthy message. Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 15 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by the waves 
and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So there we have it. We, we want to be the opposite of, of those who are tossed to and fro by the waves, as it says. We don't want to be blown here and there by every new idea that comes our way, going along with every fashionable um, way of thinking. And we don't want to be deceived by those who, who are out to, to deceive us. But rather, we want to be holding fast, as we read, holding firmly to the trustworthy message. So that's the embodiment of that, holding firmly, as we read in Ephesians 4. So another source of, of false teaching is, is meaningless talk, or just plain wrong teaching. Um, we mentioned before those in this passage who are described as the circumcision group. And this is a group of, of Jewish people who are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. They're mentioned in Galatians chapter 2, if you want to, to have a look afterwards. Um, they're a group who held to what Paul calls in Titus 1 and 14. He says, um, Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. And this group, the circumcision group, held to those, those myths they believed that there were these customs or beliefs um, which must be adhered to to be, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. And that they clung to these as a way of, of distinguishing themselves from, from other people around them. This idea that they could, um, they could earn their, their favour with God. They are also what you might call ascetics. These are people who believe in self-denial and any kind of um, indulgence or any kind of... Um, of, of luxury, if you like, is, is, is not to be indulged in. And they, they believed that self-denial for its own sake was, was a valuable thing. And they thought that it made them more righteous than everyone else. Um, but we're to remember, aren't we, just as a side point, the gospel is about freedom in Christ. And God's given us these good things in life, in this world, to enjoy. But these, these people were people who wanted to take that away and, and they wanted to to um, place burdens on people rather than the freedom of Christ. So what do we read about the teaching of these people? Well, in verse 15, um, Paul says, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. So it's almost as though he's saying, these people will tell you all these things are corrupted, but actually their idea of what is corrupted is corrupted in itself. As we said, we, we as Christians have freedom in Christ. And coming back again to the gospel message, we know that nothing we can do can achieve salvation or righteousness for ourselves. But Jesus' death and resurrection has purchased it for us. And this is a liberating thing because it means that we don't need to, to meet a certain standard, an impossible standard, to, to get to uh, a relationship with God. Because Jesus has purchased it for us. So it shouldn't be something that's burdensome to us. It should be something that's liberating. But we know that those who haven't accepted this, that haven't accepted that the gift of salvation is a free gift from God, um, these people will try and win God's favour by other means. And we see it in the Bible, we see it in our passage, in fact, this, this circumcision group. They believe that their good deeds, um, if, if done right, will be enough to get them to heaven and will be enough to win favour with God. And we see it in the world today. We can look at um, all the various religions of the world and, and um, philosophies of the world. People describe them as paths to God. 
And in fact, many people will say um, all the paths to God are, are valid and, and you, just, you just pick the one that suits you best. Um, but, but within these, these religions and the, these paths to God, um, for some there are certain practices that have to be followed, um, almost like a kind of checklist to get to God. And then for others, as we've said, the good has to outweigh the bad on the scales. And um, when you get to the end of your life, um, God will, will weigh up what you've done on the scales. And if you've been good enough, then, then you'll get into heaven. But by contrast, the gospel teaches that there's nothing we can do um, to achieve salvation or righteousness for ourselves. Because we just simply can't measure up to God's standard. But as we said, Jesus' death and resurrection has purchased it for us. So if there's any that um, are hearing this and, and thinking that there's, there are things that we need to do to, to get into heaven, uh, things we need to tick off the list, um, just know that, that God has purchased it for us. God has given his son as a sacrifice for us so that we have the free gift of eternal life if we accept it. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't strive to, to do good things? Uh, absolutely not. We read in Romans 6, and verses 1 to 4. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we're to be dead to sin, as we thought in our, our Roman series. We're, we're not to be following in, in the way that we used to live, but once we've accepted Christ, we're to, to live for Christ. So it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to do, good, to do good things, but it does mean that we're free from the rituals and the, the ceremonial law, as it's called, of the Old Testament. So these people who are saying that we need to deny ourselves of things, we need to abstain from any kind of luxury or self-indulgence. Um, that's not what, what the gospel is about. 1 Timothy 4 and 4 says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So, we're no longer to be bound by these things. We're no longer to be burdened by those who will tell us that we have to, to stick to certain laws. And we're certainly not bound by the kinds of, of human commands mentioned in verse 14. It says, the merely human command of those who reject the truth. Um, we're not to be burdened by them and we're not to be burdening other people with them because we know that the gospel is the free gift of God. So, <clears throat> just to, to wrap up this, uh, this idea of, of the various sources of, of false teaching that come in, um, we're to remember again that our absolute authority is God's word. And we might say that second to, second to God's word may be the teachings of those around us who, who we know are sound in the faith. Those who are, are wise in God's things and, and, very, and knowledgeable in God's things. Um, we're not to just disregard that and, and, um, and just to merely just read the word and not take any kind of teaching in. But we're to, to test all the things that we hear. And perhaps most of all we should be suspicious of the teachings of those people who don't look to the Bible as their authority, or, as we've thought, whose lives don't reflect what we know to be true about God. So yes, we're to listen to teachers and those who we know to be wise, but our absolute authority is always to be God's word. 
So we've looked briefly at those who, um, who are trying to burden, burden the um, early Christians with, with unnecessary burdens. But there were also those who were trying to deceive. And we know, don't we, there's a difference between um, simply teaching something in error and deliberately teaching uh, falsehoods. But Paul tells us that there were some who were trying to do this too. There were some who were trying to deceive the Christians in these churches for their own gain. Uh, in verse 11 it says, and that for their own dishonest gain. Um, we see that again in the world today, don't we? We see that there are those with ulterior motives who are, who are trying to spread a different gospel to, to the one we read about in God's word. There are some who deceive for power. We can think of the Jewish leaders of, of Jesus' time who were desperate to cling on to this social standing and, and power that they had over the the oppressed people around them and they, they sought to oppress them further just to maintain their own social standing and, and power within the community. There are some who deceive for money and if we think of, um, of our times today there are those who we know who will use the name of Jesus to exploit vulnerable people or, or desperate people for profit and for their own, their own gain. So there are these people who will, who will preach a gospel but it's, it's all about themselves, it's all about um, gaining power or money or influence or something and when we consider these kinds of deception we're caused to think of when Jesus was tempted by Satan we read about it in Matthew 4 and we know that Satan's motivation was to cause Jesus to bow down to him to, to gain power over, over Jesus but we know don't we that Jesus responded every time with scripture he was able to quote something from uh, from God's word that was able to refute the devil in, in all his attempts to deceive him and we're to do the same 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21 says to test everything and that's what we're to do we're to check everything against God's word and against um, our experience and what we know to be true about God through our own lives so we've looked at, at the the sources of these false teachings and we've looked at the damage that they can do and Paul's warning Titus that there are those who will damage the church and the gospel through this false teaching and deception so what's what's Titus to do he's to hold firmly and to guard against these false teachings um, we finished our passage with chapter 2 and verse 1 which says you however must teach must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine and if we compare this with chapter 1 and verse 9, that they act as bookends for our, our um, passage today. Um, ch chapter 1 verse 9 says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So in, in that verse, Paul is speaking of the elders of the church. And in chapter 2 verse 1, Paul's speaking specifically to Titus. But it's the same message, to hold firmly and to teach sound doctrine. The uh, chapter 1 verse 9 verse uh, emphasises to teach the trustworthy message as it has been taught. That phrase, as it has been taught. So as we thought, the message was not to be distorted in any way. Not through um, wrong teaching or the practice of rebellious people. Or through um, wrong teaching by those who weren't wise enough in God's things or through deceitful teaching by those who are out for themselves. But they were to cling to the message as it has been taught. 
Again, to quote from 1 Thessalonians 5, um, verse 20 and 21, it says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. So for us, that means we need to be weighing things up against Scripture and our knowledge of who God is. And very often, our experiences in life will, will test and will confirm what the Bible says about God. Um, I don't remember who said it, but I, was, I remember being in a talk once where someone said that um, they knew someone who, as they flipped through the Bible, they'd written the letters T, T and P next to various verses. And they asked them what that meant, and it meant tested and proved. So we can use our own experiences of, of being a disciple of Jesus. And we can look back on our lives and we can see times where God has, has kept his promises to us. God has kept what he said he will do for us in his word. And as we go through life and as we trust in God more and more, we'll see more and more that the things that are written about God in his word are true. And we know that God will, will keep his promises to us and, um, and he'll, he'll never forsake us. And so we can do this with the gospel as well. There'll be those who will challenge our understanding of the gospel and challenge what the Bible says about the gospel. But time and time again, we can go back to God's word and we can see um, the lives that were changed in, in biblical times. And indeed, we can see the lives that are changed um, around us today in the world. And we can know that the, the gospel, as we have it in his word and as it's been taught, is true. So just to, to wrap up again, our absolute authority must always be God's word. We often say how blessed we are to have it um, in so many different versions and, and so accessible to us. And we have the complete word of God, something which they didn't have in the early churches. They didn't have all these, these writings of Paul and we're blessed to have them. Um, and I think the takeaway message for us from this passage is we're to use God's word always to challenge any new teachings that we hear or, or people who will challenge what we all already believe. We're to challenge those ideas with what we read in God's word. And we're, we're to always keep that as our absolute authority. And we're to pass that on as we teach others. As it says in that verse, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And as we go through in, in the next uh, verses in Titus in our series, we'll see what that sound doctrine is. Uh, we'll see Paul giving Titus very specific examples um, and we look forward to, to looking at those and applying them to ourselves today as well. So we pray. Oh God, once again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it preserves for us the, the gospel message as it was originally taught and as it's meant to be understood. And oh God, we thank you that we, we know for ourselves that there's nothing that we need to do, no laws or or burdens that we need to bear in order to to know you and to have a relationship with you but we thank you again O oh god that um, you've purchased it for us through your son and oh god we pray that you'll help all of us as we come up against those who will challenge this who will um, either try to deceive us or will try to lead us away from from the original message of the gospel we pray that you'll help us always to be able to to refute them and to um, to combat these things with with scripture and with your word help us to be in your word often a oh god help us to be familiar with it and to to be able to call passages to mind that will uh, affirm what we know to be true about you and so oh god we ask for your blessing with this in the name of the lord jesus christ amen, amen.